Welcome to another episode of the Wholesale Elite Podcast. I am Aisham Hipsher and joined by my main man, Tanner Santucci. How are you, sir? Good. Let's bring in the new year with a good episode, huh? Absolutely. Guys, we have a gem for you today. This is a, a gentleman that um, I'm, I'm fairly new to. Uh, we recently just spoke for the first time not too long ago, but this is uh, uh, someone who I heard on a previous podcast and I was like, man, we got to get him on and just kind of better understand what's happening because he's had such tremendous success in such a, a quick period of time. Um, with, with pivoting to a niche that Tanner and I have have also made the decision to to move toward, and we'll talk more about that in the show. But um, I want to introduce the world and all of our listeners um, and viewers to Mr. Anthony Pappas. Anthony, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I appreciate the invite. Thank you for your time. Absolutely, Good. absolutely. Thank. Thank you for yours, man. Dave, we just want to jump in. You know, on, on this this podcast, we don't talk too many tactics, um, just, just to give you the heads up. So we won't get into too many nuts and bolts, but we definitely want to take you know advantage of your time and 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 your resources and your knowledge, your skill set, and 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 ask some of those. But man, I just I want to know, you know, kind of more of your origin story. You know, how how'd you get not necessarily started in real estate, but but you know, where are you from? What was family life like? what made you this entrepreneur that you are today, you know, in, in, in the real estate world. So we can go back to the origin story, man. I'd love to get started there. Well, it's uh, it's not what most people would expect. Um, so came from a broken home, uh, parents got divorced early in life. Then my dad, uh, ended up in prison for majority of my, uh, teenage years. Wow. My mom, unfortunately got sucked into substance abuse, was an alcoholic for, uh, many of those same years. So I was kind of tasked with raising my sister. I fell into a rupper crowd, you know, trying to find people to fit in in high school with and uh, caught a felony at 18, ended up getting into construction trades because nobody else wants to hire a felon. And uh, that's where I started working with my hands, learning the backside of development, doing it physically, and then saw the guys pulling up the nice trucks and wearing the nice suits. And I'm like, what do you guys do? You guys walk around in a hard hat, but you don't do anything. And you look like you make a lot more money. Like, well, we put the money together, we find the deals and that's where we make our money. I'm like, I, I want to get into that. Wow. Okay. That was the quickest origin story I've ever heard in my life. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I it to the point. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so I, I remember hearing from a podcast earlier that you, you were a plumber for a number of mm -hmm. years. How did you Correct. get into that trade? So I got into plumbing early on because my stepdad had a plumbing company. Uh, then I did some framing, a little roofing, a little electrical, kind of touched everything in the construction field and just uh, didn't, got sick of it. You know what I mean? And then early 20s, I decided to try entrepreneurship. Um, well, it was illegally entrepreneurship. You know, we were pushing uh, some weed from Cali and uh, making <laughs> some good money there on the side because I could not figure out how I was working 40 to 60 hours a week and not getting ahead. Everybody, my, my age bracket was driving new trucks, had new houses. I could not, I was working my ass off as a plumber and could not get by. So we started moving a little weed back before it was cool. And uh, that was supplemental income for a while. Wow. <laughs> Fascinating. Wrestler out here. Yeah, that was, that was my an entry level into entrepreneurship and running a little business. Cause I had a couple of buddies, you know, we we're all working together as a team. And that's, I applied that same mentality to wholesale when I found it. Uh, through a buddy, Trevor Bradley, who was a licensed agent. He was crushing it in real estate. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Not at my own choice. My fiance forced me to read it. I was like, oh, this is going to be some guru bullshit book. I'm not reading that nonsense. She's like, you're, you're going to read this book. So I said, all right, we'll read it. It's like, oh, real estate's where it's at. Hit up Trevor. He was crushing it, doing single family um, 
transactions and I was like, how do, I need to get into real estate. He's like, how much money do you have? I'm like, I don't have any money. He's like, well, you need money. I was like, rich dad, poor dad. I said, no money. You know, Robert Kiyosaki said, I don't need it. What's up with that? He's like, you're going to need money unless you're in a wholesale. I'm like, well, how do I get into wholesale? He's like, well, let me plug you in with my broker, Steve Trang. So I oh, got wow. hooked up with Steve. I got hooked up with Steve Trang. Did a couple of his uh, mentorship, you know, like the two-day seminars he used to do back in the day. And then I kept bugging him with questions. Like, if you're going to keep harassing me with questions, just join my team. I'm like, we'll do that. Worked with Steve for a little while, but still stubborn entrepreneur, wanted to do shit my own way. Uh, wanted to virtually drive for dollars and drive for dollars. And they were more of the traditional wholesale model of cold callers, VAs, you know, banging the phones. And I didn't want to do any of that. Yeah. So I, that's I, go ahead. I was going to say, that's when I branched off and uh, just started kind of going my own route and found land subsequently after. Yeah. So what, what brought you to land? Cause it sounded like you had, you know, you, you kind of did everything, right? Like you said, plumbing, electrical, roofing, all this. So why not, you know, stick to the traditional method and that way you can learn how to value almost a flip. Like what brought you specifically over to the land, especially if you're working with Steve and them, cause they do the traditional right. wholesale. That's a great question. So I actually started flipping. I flipped up. We were doing, uh, my fiance and I were living in houses, fixing them up, then selling them and move on to the next one, you know, live in flips. And my problem is I'm a perfectionist and I couldn't get out of the, I kept micromanaging every project. And when somebody had fucked something up, I would just do it myself. So now I'm spending my time rehabbing properties when I shouldn't be. And, you know, I was doing acquisitions, rehabbing properties at night, and it was an absolute nightmare. So that's when I started looking at, other because i was in the phoenix market started looking around like what else is there kind of hot in phoenix it was getting harder and harder to find deals that made sense so i started looking at land and i realized a lot of people couldn't underwrite land the same way i could i had the construction background so i knew what it took to go into this so i had a different approach to it and a different viewpoint than most people that were trying to wholesale it Hmm. so what would you say i mean what would you say for someone that doesn't have your experience right Mm-hmm. what would you tell them in terms of, oh, look, I want to get into land. What's the first thing you would tell them on, and maybe something that they could put take put to action? So the first thing you want to do is get online, type in whatever city you're trying to invest in, and then fee schedule, F-E-E schedule. You want to go there and you want to start knowing every cost associated with development, because if you're trying to wholesale to developers, you need to know these numbers to evaluate and underwrite these deals the way they do. My, all the deals I've done this year and majority of the deals I did last year were sold to, you know, a handful of buyers because I look at it from their point of view. I don't try to wholesale and put on, we have some sold a few on dispo lists and stuff like that, but that's, that's not our primary focus. We work with builders and find them what they need. Hmm. So if you can underwrite a deal, the way a builder looks at it and you show them the numbers, that's a lot of the builders I was working with up front. They're like, Oh, I need a a 30 day due diligence. So I can go with the city. I'm like, it's already done. Here's the email from the city on what they're going to allow. Here's what we're predicting for the water meter. Here's the septic costs that we're uh, checking or that we're running into. Does all this look, you know, right to you? They're like, Oh, absolutely. So now when I send them a deal, they're like, yep, we're, we're good to go. EMD's wired. Jeez. And that's building that relationship. From the time you you guys started doing land to the point to where you're at now, because, you know, we've listened to a lot of land, you know, podcasts from guys that do land and they do things completely different from the way that you and your company does it. You know, it seems like they're they're running comps off, you know, other sold uh, lots and whatnot, whereas you guys are approaching this based on 
you know, what the builder could actually buy this for. So you'd be leaving a ton of money on the table if you did this the, the traditional way. How did you learn to go to, to, you know, pivot into this, you know, arena? So I dabbled at first. I just started checking on some lots. Uh, we were doing a lot. Of, I was looking for fix and flips in Apache Junction for some mobile homes that, you know, we could turn and burn. And uh, there's a couple lots. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to just see if what they would want for these lots reached out. And they're like, this is where I need to be. I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. You don't have access to water. You can't install a septic. And the sellers were like, you're the first person to ever say that to us. Because they, they're so used to wholesalers saying, yes, we can pay that price just based off, you know, 30% of an after build value. And I'm yep. like, yeah, unfortunately, that doesn't work. And they're like, well, let's, let's further this conversation because you're the first person that seems credible. Right. Because I've bought from other investors. Um, Jack Bosch, we actually wholesaled one of his properties. And, you know, he's a pretty big name in land investing. So that, that's a little trophy on the wall nice. but, and that's just because we can talk the talk we can walk the walk and we actually purchase the property like if i say i'm gonna buy it i have the funds available to, to buy it so if we don't wholesale it i'll close on it so that's another thing that sets us apart because i see the value in it the way we underwrite it that we'll take it down and we personally closed probably a handful maybe like 12 deals last year that we turned and you know flipped out of or double escrowed so how many mm. deals did you guys do last year uh, it was a pretty small amount. I want to say we finished the year at like 47. 47. Most wholesalers are like, small? What is what you say? <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, if you look at our revenue of 1.5 million in total assignment fees to 47 deals, you know, most people are doing hundreds of deals to hit that kind of revenue. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So is For that where sure. you see the, is that where the more value comes from is knowing how to value that from a developer's lens rather than like, like Aishan was saying, where most wholesalers would look at a, a lot and see another lot two blocks over and be like, oh yeah, similar square footage, that price. Right. And that's the issue is people are trying to comp the same way realtors do where they're like this lot sold for that. If we take 10 grand off it, it'll sell too. But unfortunately that's just not the way land works. You may find an end buyer if it's a lot in Scottsdale that wants to build his dream home. But if you're trying to sell to a developer, they need their margins. They need their 30% profit on the back end because they're really looking to get 20% and then they have a 10% buffer. So you need mm -hmm. to factor that in as well, the utilities. And when you understand it through their eyes, they're willing to work with you because they know you're not wasting their time like that. When you get on the phone with the builder, they can know right away, either you know your shit or you don't because they'll yep. throw out a couple little tests just to see. And yeah, as soon as they realize that you talk the talk and walk the walk, then they're willing to entertain and it works pretty well. What are typically some of those conversations or those tests that builders throw out that, that could trip up some people? Right. Well, they'll be like, um, so what's the zoning on the lot, right? I can't tell you how many wholesalers send out a lot and they don't even know the zoning. Yep. Or they'll be like, okay, yeah, it looks good, but I'm going to need 90 days for due diligence. And like, okay, um, what are you looking for? And they start rambling stuff off and see if you know it. Like if you stumble on an Alta survey or Geotech or a, a Topo or any of those things, a phase one, they're going to know what's up and they'll say, Hey, did you get a phase one done? If you say, what's a phase one? They're like, all right, click. Hmm. So knowing the due diligence that goes into these lots will help you stand out compared to a lot of wholesalers that are just trying to, you know, make a quick buck. Cause I'm trying to build long-term relationships over just a quick deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We always say it's always, it's uh, the relationship over the deal all, all the time. And right. if, if I could, I want to kind of dispel some of the, some of the myths that, that, you know, land has over, you know, residential real estate and wholesaling. Right. Um, I think a lot of people think land is easier, you know, that's one of the things yeah. that, that I heard when I first started diving into land is like, people are just crushing land. Can, right. can you talk a little bit on, on the ease of land versus traditional wholesaling? So 
less competition. They are correct that it's easier as of less competition, but what you also have less of is buyers. There's mm. less people willing to buy land than a house because no matter what you do with the house, whether it's fix and flip, Airbnb, buy and hold, uh, maybe you live in it and move your family into it. There's a ton of different exits with land. It's not bringing in money until you sell it. I know there are some guys that do the creative stuff outside of town and they sell or finance it. And that's great. I know a lot of guys that crush it with that. I've never personally done that. What I do is in town, in demand lots for developers. So it, it is easier. If it's easier to get under contract, it's gonna be harder to sell. The harder it is to get under contract, the easier it is to sell and the bigger the profit margin. So that's why we stay in town. I don't touch outskirts um, that don't have utilities. Some guys crush it with that. It's just not a business model that we've uh, subscribed to. Have you seen a lot of, I think I remember you saying this in another podcast. I mean, have you seen the sellers? You mentioned something about it. The sellers are a lot more transactional. Mm -hmm. What can oh, you yeah. say? What's the difference between a land seller, essentially, that you've had to deal with rather than most, you know, traditional real or single family sellers? So when I was doing single family wholesaling, it was very pain oriented. People were, you know, going to lose the house, pre foreclosure, tax lien, uh, someone died. It was always so much emotion compared to land. Somebody bought it as an investment. If they can make their money, they're happy and they want to get out of it, or they bought a bad investment and they need to liquidate to get out of it. It's, it's more transactional by nature there. You do get some that, you know, is passed down in the family and they have that emotional attachment to the land, but it's, it's fewer and far in between. And I prefer the more business to business aspect of it. Now, you had mentioned uh, earlier uh, that your fiance had kind of forced you to read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Is, is she in investing as well? Or wh why did she even know about that book? So she had gotten her real estate license and the brokerage she joined, you know, they were all like reading the book together. She read it, light bulb went on. So she forced me to do it. I was actually going to start a plumbing company. Uh, I was going to branch off from the company I was with, start my own. And I'm like, I don't need that. That's bad. I'm just going to sell it, you know find a way to bankroll it myself and start one truck and work up. And then I read the book. I'm like, Oh, I'm stupid. I need, <laughs> I need debt. I need all the debt I can get. So the book actually opened your eyes to debt. Cause I was a Dave Ramsey guy coming up. And when I read right. rich that poor dad, I was like, eh, I don't know if he's all, you know, all there about this whole debt thing. I'm pretty, you know, I, I think Dave, Dave Ramsey is the way to go, but you know, now as, a, right. as an investor, I, I see that using other people's money is, I mean, that that's, that's, you know, the way for sure. Um, so that's fascinating that you just kind of easily made that pivot. Um, now you're in land and how long have you been working specifically in land? Uh, it's been about two and a half years now, just, just land. Okay. So and in been your a pretty short run, I see. Yeah. Yep. And in your first year, you did 1.5 million in assignment uh, one, fees. 1.2. Yeah, the first million. full year of land was 1.2. This year that we just left is 1.5. So yeah, we were able to do a little Giant. better this year. Yeah, not not where we wanted to go. We were looking to hit a little bit higher goal, but it's hard to complain. Most Most people don't make 1.2 million their first year of doing land. What, what do you think separated you from most people? Uh, that that first half year, you know, I was kind of dabbling in it and I was still wholesaling. So I had a good understanding of how wholesale worked. And we had one of the biggest bull runs at our back. So there were some deals that we sold in full transparency that shouldn't have sold. They didn't pencil the way they did. And there were some builders that started becoming speculators and they were overpaying to keep their guys busy. And that did happen. I mean, thankfully they all got out right before the crash and they were able to make money on before it fell apart. But there was some deals that, you know, we had good wind at our back. And I think too many investors forget about that. That makes sense. I 
have you noticed a big difference between, so on the wholesale side, you know, we have our, our list of buyers that, that we're looking to build. What's the mm-hmm. big difference between those buyers and the builders that you're looking to create networks or excuse me, relationships with, you know, as a, a future developer? Okay, great question. So a lot of the buyers that I was coming across were either other wholesalers or investors that were just going to try to flip the lot. Builders are buying with the intent to build and they have a track record of doing so. So it's it's a different kind of transaction because the investors were looking at it like they needed enough margin to then go sell to those builders too. So by going directly mm. to builders, uh, we were able to remove some of the middlemen in there. And so I could make a bigger spread and the builder could get it cheaper. Absolutely. And right now you, you guys, I mean, you've done all this, not like with this massive group of VAs and, you know, this massive team. Can you tell the, the listeners in the audience a little bit about your current team? So the current team, so I was relying a lot on independent contractors, you know, they were on the team, but there was just, I'm the only W2 employee of the company. And then, uh, yeah. then I had th- at the most, we had three independent contractors and right now it's, uh, it's down to one. And I just brought on a full-time person. Uh, starting this year. So it's a really small team, but you don't need a big team to make a ton of money. Like uh, I tried VAs back when I was wholesaling single family houses. I had a partner at the time and we were up to 13 VAs at one point. It was just, it was ridiculous overhead and time management was just not there. So what's the role of the full-time person that you just brought on? So he's going to be, he does basically acquisitions for me and then some backend stuff as well. Just kind of like cleaning up systems or pulling lists, stuff of that nature. Gotcha. What, what about your other contractor? Uh, same thing, lead generation. They basically cold call, find the lead, bring it when it's contract ready. And then uh, we take, you know, expose the company and take it under our company name. He can also, per the contractor agreement, has some licensing agreement to use, you know, some branding and stuff of that nature. So he can say, hey, this is who I am. I'm an independent contractor of Maverick Properties. You can go check out their website. They are who they say they are. And it, they use my track record to help create some validation and credibility. I see. So, so they're not actually, they, they don't say, Hey, I'm such and such with Mavro. They say I'm an independent right. contractor with Mavro. So unfortunately we were having them say with Mavro, but um, just with some new IRS regulations that my CPA and attorney think is coming down the pipeline, we're going to nip that in the bud and make very clear delineation between a, an employee and a 1099 role. So mm. for 1099 employees, there needs to be clear separation saying that I am, you know, an independent contractor of Mavro Properties. I don't work for Mavro Properties. Mm, that's good insight. Thank you. That for is that. really good insight. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I do not dabble in the gray area at all. I am black and white. If the IRS says it's not allowed, I'm not pushing that button because I never one want to get audited and to yep. be wrong and owe them a big check. So I've, I've, there are plenty of guys that crush it, you know, playing that gray area. It's just not something I'm willing to uh, risk on this journey. Yeah. Absolutely. So spe- speaking of uh, kind of backtrack just a hair speaking of you know since the market like you said kind of crashed essentially the, the floor kind of came out or at least it's still coming out what adjustments have you guys made in your company to kind of eliminate maybe some mistakes that or maybe not so much mistakes but just eliminate and change the changes and adaptations that you've had to make um it's with the way the market no, is now it's a really good question and it's back to underwriting deals appropriately they the numbers have to pencil we're back to running very conservative numbers and making sure that builders on average will make their 30% because back at, like in the height of it, they're happy making 20% on average. And if they could get 30, cool. Sometimes builders were happy at 10%. They're back right. to needing that 30% on average. If they can get 40 and things work out great, great. But if they can't get that 30 and at worst case, 
if they can make 10, because we're also looking 12 to 24 months out and projecting our numbers on what, you know, valuations will be then. So we're, if you're looking at a comp today and saying, oh, I can buy this lot of, you know, it's a $400,000 lot, I can get it for 10% at 40K, that may look good. But if that house is worth 300000 a year out, it's not looking so sexy anymore after you do utilities and all the necessary, you know, entitlements and stuff of that nature. Very true. How are you guys looking that far out? Like what, what, you know, what kind of metrics are you using to establish, you know, the, 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 the numbers for that timeline? A lot of estimates from bigger hedge funds uh, try to mirror what the bigger hedge funds are doing. Obviously, they're not as aggressive as they're trying to protect capital compared to where I need to be earlier on in life, which is a little more aggressive, but I still like to use them as a baseline. You know, Bridgewater does uh, monthly releases where they can get their estimate on where the market's heading. You can also find BlackRock, Blackstone. They all put out a ton of data on where they think it's going. Then the Fed, the Fed said, we're not stopping until we get to 2% which, you know, people like Ray Dalio are saying that we're going to probably five, five and a half percent with the Fed rate. And while that doesn't affect mortgages as much, it does affect construction debt. So if you're going to build a property and they keep bumping that rate and your construction debt keeps going up, you got to, and the property values are coming down. You need to get that land for significantly cheaper. Awesome. You mm. mentioned Ray Dalio uh, just now, and, and I've heard you mention him uh, on previous podcasts. Um, mm. it, it, is he one of the the people that you kind of lock, you know, lock onto in, in terms of wanting to learn from and, and learn, you know, the, I guess the investment, the numbers, uh, right. For lack of better words. Absolutely. Uh, hey, uh, so my kind of like virtual mentors, I call them are willing Ray Dalio. Um, and then those are the main two. Then Patrick bed, David a lot for just the way he structures Patrick his companies. Yeah. Yeah, I like their approach. Alex Ramosi is great for some mindset and motivational stuff of another successful, you know, younger guy that's really crushing it. So those are kind of my go-to virtual mentors. And then I'm blessed to have Jesse Burrell, owner of uh, batch skip tracing as an in-person mentor here in Phoenix. Awesome. What was the first name you mentioned before Ray Dahlia? Uh, Jocko Willink. Oh, Jocko. Yeah. Jocko extreme ownership. Uh, I take uh, so, yeah, the whole team went to Jocko's event last year in Dallas and we did that. And then the year before I personally went to the one in Phoenix, that's going to be a yearly thing that uh, we go to. Did you see a massive difference um, before going to the event and, and afterwards, or what were some of your key takeaways from that? If you did. So there was um, the only problem is I, as this is where I failed is I backed off thinking they were going to take more ownership because I saw what I needed to see. And I was got so caught in the weeds of trying to put some bigger deals together that I monitoring KPIs and staying on top of, you know, the numbers that were showing how people were doing. And then as a result, things started falling off. Then you have to come back in, burn up a bunch of leadership capital, it, and, you know, put your foot down and say, hey, if you want to be a part of this team, these are the numbers you have to hit and then get everybody fired back up. So building a team is um, it's a learning thing that I'm still trying to figure out, but it's it's been a fun journey. A lot, a lot of failures on my end and. As soon as you realize there's no bad team, there's only bad leaders, yeah, it, it hits home a different different type of way. So true. 
Yeah. It, yeah. I think the unfortunate part in leadership is there's, there's a lot of fingers these days and not a lot of thumbs, you know, and, right. and it's, it's so easy to, to push the blame off on others. And when you do that, you pass the responsibility over to them and then, you know, you're out of control. And so that's phenomenal uh, that, that you're learning this lesson right now, you know, in such a young business with already, you know, this level of success. And so, uh, man, that, that's fascinating. Let me ask you, what, what would you say? Cause you know, clearly you're, you're running your business, uh, but you're also having to work on your business. You know, you're, you're looking at these metrics, you're, you're going back and doing the research with these hedge funds to, to forecast data. How much time do you spend working in your business versus on your business? So in the business, first on the business, that's, so probably around eight hours in the business daily. I still call call. I still underwrite deals. I still send contracts. I still do all that stuff. And I feel like too many people want to get out of that role as soon as possible. And as soon as you take your finger off that pulse, if you're not making those calls, good luck helping someone that's struggling with getting their sales up. If you're not getting beat up on the phones and knowing what they're going through, it's going to be hard for you to relate anymore because you get desensitized and detached from it. And then I don't really have any hobbies other than this and jujitsu, which takes up, you know, an hour a day few days a week, but I spend another two to three hours at night working on the business and trying to figure out where we can improve. Phenomenal. Sometimes I envy you guys with no kids. <laughs> like, gosh, yeah. man, yeah. That, that that's, that's fascinating, man. Um, okay. So when you were coming up in land, you mentioned all, all, you know, Jocko, Ray, PBD, Alex Ramosi, was there any, uh, and those are more virtual guys, was there any uh, one that you kind of locked arms with and learned from either in your local market or like a mentor that, that actually knew your name and you can communicate and, you know, pass back Q&A with? So um, not so much a developer, just kind of figured out what wasn't selling and why and just kind of tore it apart from that side of, but I didn't have like a real developer that I was able to get my hands on and really deep dive into their mindset on how they look at things. So I don't really have anybody like that. It mainly just scouring all the free resources that cities put out. They will put out everything you need to know about development on their sites. Just too many people aren't willing to do the boring work and go read it. So I see it's a lot of pages, <laughs> a lot of pages, a lot of tables. And sometimes the tables yep. don't make sense. And so the planning, this is my little hack for getting through with the planning and zoning department. It's probably going to, now they're going to know my game when they see this. But I'll, I will play like I am the dumbest person alive and that I work for somebody else. Uh, anytime I've gone in as the guy, takes two days to get a response. If I say, hey, my name's Anthony. I just got this job with Maverick Properties. They threw this on my desk. They said they don't know how many units they can put on here. They're trying to underwrite it, and they tasked me with doing it. I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you please help me? Instant, right away. Wow, <laughs> so like, oh, it, it's It's crazy how the mindset works of like, hey, uh, I know this is R3A. Uh, I'm having some issues with this wash running through. I need a, you know, who can I talk to? It'll be crickets. But if I'm like, Hey, I have no idea who to talk to. I really don't want to lose my job. And they said, if I don't figure this out, you know, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's instant. It's, it, it's crazy. But the That's dumber you, the dumber you like tone it down and just try to present yourself as more of a human being, I guess, is probably why it works compared to I'm a big developer. I know what I'm doing. It's a oh my gosh. Approach. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you said that. That it's fascinating because it's something that really helped me. You know, we're we're almost a year into this, but when I first got started, just having a little bit of humility and and now at the time I really didn't know anything, and so I was going to people, but I I was learning that man, people are willing to help other people that need help, but if you right. come in with this ego and this this you know. 
kind of, you know, facade of, I know everything, it's hard to get help. And I just, I find it fat. I'm so glad you said that because I want to encourage other people to really understand, stop acting like, you know, every damn thing, stop trying to, you know, don't be worried about, man, if, if, you know, what if I ask this question, they're going to think I don't know, just ask the question because most people are willing to help. You know, I I tell people all the time, look, if a newbie wholesaler came to you and said, Hey, look, I'm brand new. I've watched all this stuff. You know, I, I have a basic understanding. Could you just help me, you know, with a few things? I would, you know, I tell people all the time, someone came to you and said that, would you help them? They're like, yeah, I would. I said, so why are you so scared to do the same thing? Just, just go do that same thing because people are willing to help other people. They, they're not going to judge you. They're not going to say, Oh, you know, right. this person. if you just have a little humility show that you really don't know what you're doing and you're looking to learn people love teaching other people stuff that they already know. Yeah. It, it well, gives them a boost. That's, that's my favorite quote ties into that. It's by Socrates. It says, I am the wisest man alive. I know one thing and that's that I know nothing. So anytime I start feeling like I'm hot shit and oh, I'm the land guy, I'm like, no, no, there's still people out there with decades of experience that you can learn from. And um, so that's something too, is find a great land broker that is willing to work with you on some time. They will have such a plethora of knowledge. I don't even know if I use that word right, but it sounds cool. They have so much knowledge that they can share with you on the market and builders, and they can set up lunches for you with those builders because they know uh, that you're going to somehow make sure you take care of them if a deal comes from it, you know, or you let them sell some of your commercial deals on the back end. Um, I've been working with Gunner with Levrose, and he sold a few deals for us and structured some deals and introduced me to some big developers with on the multi multi family side. So get with some good brokers, build a great relationship and find a way that it can be a win-win for both parties. Man, that's, that's, yeah, that, that's super encouraging. Um, thank you for that insight. I, I want to ask, um, what's, what's a current challenge that you're facing in your business right now? Uh, scaling, just getting the team dialed in and trying to scale and figure out what market I want to go into next and just how we're going to kind of do what I want to do and make sure that the company's goals are the number one priority and make sure everything's being met because it's I got a little distracted spent a little bit too much money trying to put the team before the company because you know I had that you treat your team great the company will thrive but unfortunately if you spend too much money on the team and putting people first then the mission comes second and the mission has to come first doesn't mean treat your people like shit and don't pay them right but the mission does have to come first so that's been a, a learning lesson is putting the mission first and finding a way that everyone can win while that mission's being accomplished. Now you mentioned uh, going to a, a potentially another market where, you know, the market that you're in now, you can drive to places and, and put eyes right. on property. Are you going to go to a market that's out of your driving range? Yeah, it would be a total different market. I'm looking at Texas, Florida, somewhere that I can find someone reliable and trustworthy and build that relationship with somebody on the ground. So I can have somebody on the ground that can go drive by the properties and do stuff like that. Or worst case, just hire, you know, a, a local agent or somebody to kind of act on our behalf in that market. I see. Very cool. Um, cause, yeah. So, so we're, you know, we're virtual. Tanner lives in Oklahoma. I'm in Alaska yeah. and, and, you know, our business is in the mostly, you know, North Florida. Um, and so that, that was one of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, what do you, what do you see some of the potential challenges being, uh, wholesaling or, or excuse me, you know, wholesaling land. Yeah, sure. Uh, virtually versus, versus in-house. So it's just, is it mostly just being able to get boots on the ground or are there other challenges you think are, you know, kind of, you're kind of forecasting? 
So the boots on the ground is probably my least um, issue that I have to struggle with because I've done a really good job of getting the brand out there. So I've got some people in different markets already. It's learning all the new zoning codes, how the land development process goes, what type of builders are in the area, who is the trusted builders in the area and kind of reverse engineering all that. Cause yet once again, it is pages on pages on pages of stuff yep. you have to study uh, Florida, for example, uh, we're looking at Orlando and there was a 40% retention basin for storm runoff. Phoenix is, you know, five to 15%. So that 40% was the, was a big hit for this one property we were looking at and that that killed unit density for a larger development play so it's just getting up to speed on all the local codes and the dynamics of that new market i see what uh, what kind of research did you guys do to to land on orlando as a market as opposed to anywhere else in florida uh, i'm checking out you know florida up and down it's uh migration reports what industries are there what the projected markets looking like uh, and then what markets are depreciating the least is another thing that I'm kind of keeping an eye on, see who's not getting hit all. Cause those will also be the markets that didn't appreciate the most, you know, so they kind of were slowly rising. Orlando kind of got pretty parabolic, but I, it seems like it's having a little bit softer of a landing. Understandable. Hmm. Okay. Um, what if, if you've got a new wholesaler, a new investor who's coming to you and they're saying, Hey, Anthony, look, I, you know, I, I started wholesaling in, you know, just resident, you know, just flipping, flipping properties and whatnot. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about making the transition over to land. What, what advice or guidance do you have for them? Start with that city site, know the fee schedule, like the back of your hand, know the process from start to finish, what it, what a developer is going to have to do and then start calling developers. I always work backwards. I will go find my buyers first. And I try to get three to five of them looking for the same thing because I've been burned where someone said, I need this. You find it for me. I'll buy it for sure. And hey, I've got it right. Oh, well, you know, we just picked up another project and now it's a scramble and it's blasted everywhere. An absolute nightmare. But that always, literally just recently happened. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I work backwards. I go build, uh, you know, three to five is the preferred minimum for the area. And if I can't find three to five builders in that area, it's not an area I want to be in. Hmm. So that's another Do you thing find is, Go ahead. Are, are you sorry? Are you finding it challenging, or, or did you find it challenging to look for builders without a deal in hand? So yes and no, because they're like, well, what do you have for me to look at? It's no, oh, I don't have anything right now, and that can be difficult. But when you call and say, hey, here's the deal: I'm coming into a new market. We've been successful in these three other markets. We have made other people such and such money, and that's what I'm looking to do here. These are the questions I need to have from you. If you want me to bring you good deals, are you willing to answer, you know, eight questions for me real quick? And then if not, I completely understand. I want to work with builders that are willing to have that open dialogue. Yep. Absolutely. And if you're like, well, why, why don't you have any deals right now? Because they sell. I price them right. If, if I have go. a deal and I send it to you, you have about three hours to respond before it's gone. Not trying to sound like a cocky, arrogant prick, but it's the truth. And you will see when I send you a deal with a PDF printout of why it's a good deal, you'll see the, why this relationship can work out. Yeah. So that's a good point. So if you, your, your PDF breakdown, I mean, what's, what's that PDF look like essentially? Like what's all entailed or in that? Am I able to share a screen? I know we've got some audio viewers, but for the people watching us on the Yeah, screen, that'd be fascinating. Let me click this little button and see what that right. does. Let me see. You're the first one that's asked to share. So there's a mini clap to you. There yeah, you no kidding. Yeah. Let's see if I can figure out how to share. Um, 
not figuring out how to share any guidance here. Present. Do you, there we uh, go. Did you see present? present there you yeah. Go. All of our listeners, you're going to want to go to YouTube and check this out. All right, let's see. So this is my quick back of the napkin for single family. Uh, So I basically do have your property address. You got your lot size, lot price. This is where I start with, you know, whatever the seller wanted. So I actually just filmed a video on this and the breakdown of it. That'll be coming out relatively soon. Closing costs, final lot price. 40% 40% is the total allowable buildings uh, in, for the city of Phoenix. So I factor that in. Then, you know, any square feet that you'd need it, like the garage, and it factors all that in. Total build cost, total build cost, sorry, build cost, total build cost. And then I factor in the construction debt. So many wholesalers don't factor in the cost of debt. Um, many builders aren't mm-hmm. doing this out of pocket. They are using debt. So when you don't factor that in, they have to. Now, if you find a builder that's like, oh, I'm self-funded, we're good, I don't doing debt, then obviously you can zero that out and that'll make deals sexier. And the nice thing about this uh, spreadsheet, this will all be available pretty soon. I'm going to put it on the website. We're working on some backend stuff to make it work, but pretty soon oh, at like Mavro Academy, yeah, MavroAcademy.com, it'll be available where you just go in and plug it in on a site, kind of like bigger, I think bigger pockets had a similar calculator for yeah. fix and flip. So we're going to have this op- open just because I really want to, my goal is to get bad offers out of the market. That is my awesome. now driving force because I see so many Beautiful. sellers get burned by wholesalers thinking that they lock it up for 60 days, can't sell it. The next wholesaler locks it up and they get it in their mind because three people told them it's worth a hundred grand that it is when it's really, you know, 40 grand best case scenario. Yep. So I'm trying to help educate people so that better offers get put out and you know, more deals get done. This, this spits out our average sale price if it were built today. But then down here, we do a projection. So market projection for this market I was looking at was, you know, we're projecting 25% over the next 18 months. So then it starts spitting out these updated numbers for me. And this, I might be able to get pushed off to a builder, but it's going to be tight because they want this a lot closer to 30%, like we were talking about. Or some builders will say, you know, on the high end, if they could get 30 and this could be in the 20s, then they'll take it down. So it depends who you're talking to. Right. Yeah, this is my quick quick back of the napkin calculation for uh that's beautiful when i'm looking at these lots i'm like and a kid in the candy store right now trying to read it all and <laughs> soak it in. yeah yeah and so these are the major things that most people uh overlook is the grading what's it going to cost to make that lot flat and usable what's the water meter if there's a water meter um so this one had the the line already being brought onto the property so you have your main line the water meter tap and that brings it onto the property. It already had that line coming onto the property. It just didn't have a meter. So that was 2,500 bucks. Had city sewers. So, th- and the sewer tap was already installed. So, thankfully, that was zero. But you can see what this would do if, say, City of Phoenix, some water meters to get installed the tap, you know, because they have to dig up the road. You have to pay a contractor. You have all the city fees. You're around 10 grand. And then with a sewer, say the sewer tap wasn't installed. I've seen it up to 20 grand, depending on depth in the City of Phoenix. So, say it was 12 grand we can see what that does to these numbers they start looking a lot less sexy right so when people aren't taking those numbers into account and the other thing is impact fees impact fees can get expensive there are parts of arizona where it's 18 20 grand you know per dwelling so it, it can get wild oh, with wow. impact fees so that's not so finding areas too like the apartment that we're doing right now the 10 unit i'm putting up was in an area with zero impact fees so that was the reason why it looked so attractive because there were no impact fees on it, which is going to save me a bunch of money for um, on the back end. 
So in order to get all this information, um, for most people, I mean, this, all this, all these numbers, all this stuff that you're needing to per se, make one of these PDF things, um, mm-hmm. for someone that's a little bit new, say newer, and they're wanting to get into land again, they can find all this on a public, you know, the County or the city's public website, or is this something yep. that you, you know, you'd have to call just over time with networking. So yeah, city of fee schedule, and it should take you to it. Majority of them put it out there so that you know what it's going to take. If not, get with the planning and zoning or planning and development department of that city. And worst case, I will even call plumbing companies and say, hey, I'm looking to install a water meter. Is that something you guys do? Yes, it is. Okay, what's the average I'm going to be looking at in Tulsa for a water meter? And if they install water meters, they're going to have a general idea for you or uh, maybe a general contractor. You're going to find somebody that'll know. It will take some upfront work, but You'll start to dial it in. And once you have a good understanding of that market, you can build your list of the average costs associated with development. And now you know that market better than anybody. And it saves you time on the back end. Like you can see my little cheat sheet here for guys on the team. They know that we have to be in here. And also architect and engineering. And this is just the overview. Then obviously you still have that upfront due diligence cost, right? Normally around six to 10 grand. You're going to have your Alta survey with your topo uh, t- topography report. And then you're going to get your Alta, which is, you know, a environmental, sorry, Alta survey. And then your phase one, which is your environmental report, which looks at the history of the lot to see if there's any, any other buildings, any issues with the lot, any um, city of Phoenix has I'm trying to find the PC way to say this. Cause some people ancient native American artifacts uh, where mm. there was burial grounds that have killed deals for us and the Alta caught it where we get the phase one and they say, Hey, we have some history of this in this area. We're going to need to move into a phase two where they start coming to actually excavate the site to find those artifacts. And then it can move into a phase three. You're also going to get your, um, your geotech, which is also known as the soil report. So you're going to get the material, you know, composition of the soil. And in Arizona, it's super important because we have expansive soil. So it'll rain soil, expand and contract creating, you know, foundation issues. So that's all the stuff that you need to know when you're doing this kind of stuff. And then multifamily will get a little, little crazier but you need to know these numbers so that you can build these spreadsheets because i'll take this and then i'll just print this as a pdf and send it off to a builder like hey do these numbers make sense Uh, that's why you can sell your deal in three hours so yeah 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 Yeah, because when that hit when that hits and they see the numbers and some of them too i'll even so i normally so build cost per square foot in Phoenix right now, this is actually closer to 115 for like this price point of house, maybe even a little more if we're going to try to get in the you know 500 range. But if they see this number, and I always try to do this five or 10 bucks above the number that they think they can build at, they're like, oh, dude, this is steel. He doesn't even realize, you know, I, I can buy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if you pat, I always pad my numbers a little higher, you know, because that's what's going to happen in the build. Something's going to chew up a bunch more money than expected. Right. It's just nature of the beast. So if you make, so don't be too optimistic with your numbers, be more realistic or even more conservative and the builders will respect that. Absolutely. So this, this is a big forewarning to any of the uh, wholesalers out there with shiny object syndrome that, that hear that land is, is easier and, and you want to just jump right in. Uh, it's, it's, you know, just, I guess, be, you know, have more of the end, end goal in mind. Like the, the reason Tanner and I pivoted uh, to land was more so it, it matched our end goals, you know, our end goals of development, uh, commercial right. and residential. We 
that's where we want to go to in our, you know, real estate investing career. And so it just made more sense for us to align ourselves and to start learning this, this arena. And so that's, that's why we made the pivot. I do want to ask, uh, I, I know we're, we're, we're going to land this plane soon, but looking at that spreadsheet kind of brings a, a, an immediate question to mind of what your deal process is, because I, I feel like for your acquisitions team, you know, I don't think it's realistic for, for them to, you know, cold call, get someone that says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at selling. Uh, and then right. you guys take all the time to run all these numbers, present it back to them. And they say, nope, that's way too low. You know, what, yeah. what's your deal process? So the, so if you, break all those numbers down, you'll start to get an average of what we can spend on the deal. And it's normally 10 to 15% of the after build value. And that's with the depreciation in mind. So that's the number mm -hmm. I shoot for in Phoenix. And we had a lot of other investors, gurus, which is all saying you could be from 20 to 30%. That's why so many people walked the deals they couldn't move. In right. the crazy height of the speculation, yes, some of them moved in, especially in the luxury stuff. They're willing to overpay because they're going to build a $5 million house. So spending, you know, a uh, million dollars on the lands and all that crazy. But when you're looking for the stuff sub 400, those numbers don't work. So we're locking up 10 to 15% and selling 17 to sometimes 20. But right now we're seeing closer to 17% on the exit. I yeah, see. that was the first thing I noticed. Um you know, whenever you first kind of, well, for me, when I was first trying to just grasp, you know, land, how to value a little bit better and all that kind of stuff, right. you know, that's what I heard was like 20% of after sale value. So, but after you start doing, obviously you're actually in the business, you know, comping real deals and all this kind of stuff. I was, that's one, one of the first things I realized was, you know, that percentage of ARV is kind of bullshit. It really is. Cause right. you know, most of the time I was seeing a lot, way less than 20% of after sale. Mm -hmm. Like if you were just right. to throw that in the calculator. And you could see kind of what all these builders in the neighborhood are buying these lots at. They were well below 20%. And then like you right. were just saying, the luxury or, um, you know, higher end ARV, you know, properties that resale were going over 30% in some cases and of where we're at right. in Florida. So um, I'm glad you also had pointed that out because that's reassuring. And I was telling another wholesaler that recently that reached out to me asking a little bit more about the land thing. And they asked me about that 20%. And I go, don't even use that. I was like, because it's going to, it's very subjective and by deal by deal case. So I was like, don't, please don't just use 20% because you're going to get a lot of deals wrong. So, so you, and, and to piggyback off that, you could use the 20% if that's going to be your starting point for right. the sale price of what a builder will pay. Now remove all those utilities. Now right. remove all those fees. Now remove all that uh, due diligence work. And then you'll land a, a tr closer to true number. And I've had some people be like, well, I ran the numbers your way. I got to buy the lot for five grand. And I jumped and looked on and at their market and like, yeah, you see this builder paid five, <laughs> that one paid seven and that one paid 3,500. That's where it needs to be. And yeah. I know that's not sexy. People saw on Zillow that their neighbor's lot sold for 35K. But if you go poll who paid 35K is just some random person. Now, there could be a niche there where you build a website that pulls in data from people that want to build their dream homes. And you pivot yourself as the guy that helped people find their luxury property for their dream home. But hmm. good luck. Good luck. Yeah. yeah and you've dealt with people trying to build their dream home. Good fucking luck. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> we just had a lot that was that's it was the only way really it was going to work was for someone for a dream home. And so, and we right. had that thing for like four months just sitting on the market. Um, and yeah, it was like, it's I was like, yeah, that's not the kind of way I want to go. I was like, where are the developers at? They're a little bit easier to work with in that regard. Where, Things move a lot quicker. So, um, they, they no, really I also are. really, really, really like that 
that analogy almost again for someone that would be coming over from your traditional wholesale where you said you know use that 20 percent as the starting number and then you know subtract almost you know break it down from there you know utilities right. on down the line like I've never heard of someone say that before. So that was, that was pretty cool as well. Right. And I still, if you're new to this work with infill lots, find areas that have utilities, preferably a water meter or a septic installed. And if they don't have it, make sure you're negotiating that, but work infill lots. I know everybody sees like when I posted the $450,000 sign fee we made on a bigger, you know, slight rezone, everybody sees that and they want to go do that. But I promise that came with some risk. I, put about 40 grand on the table before we even knew it was a deal so we could get it to that point. So I could have lost 40 grand. The ROI on that is well worth the risk in my opinion. Absolutely. So, but start with the small stuff, get a good understanding. You'll be able to talk the talk. You'll be able to walk, walk, you'll put the money in the bank. Then you could go after these crazier stuff that make those kind of returns because then those big ones take so much time. That was a wild deal that shouldn't have worked. So I tried to back out, had to threaten a lawsuit for a specific performance to push that. But you all learn the laws of the local area because I had that background in the smaller lots. I knew I could force the sale of property based on a good contract to back out, especially if I went to the court and said, hey, I risked 40 grand to get this deal where it is. This guy's trying to back out. Judge would be like, no, you're, yeah, you're selling him <laughs> that property at that price and you're paying his legal fees per your contract. But let me, while we're there, Find a real estate attorney in the state you're wanting to invest in. Pay them to do the contract specific for that market. Don't try to do a general one that you found on a group, you know, on Facebook. Yes, it can work for your first couple deals, but as soon as you get some money in your pocket, go spend the twelve hundred or twenty five hundred bucks on that contract. It will save your ass. Make sure you have in that contract, if it's a memorandum state, that you have the right to record a memorandum that will save your ass. I have a memo on a property right now where a seller backed out didn't want to push the issue. And so basically the property has clouded title and it can't sell until I get paid. Mm, nice. Yeah, another, another uh, one of the, so this is the other thing with vetting your builders too. Sometimes when you get a little more speculative into these outer markets, you're building new buyers lists. Some of them will go around you. It's part of the game. It's going to happen. Somebody, one of them tried to, she signed the contract. They tried to buy it and they're like, good luck. You can cut me a check for 20 grand and I'll release it because that was, what we're going to make. So it's just sitting there until we figure this. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So, so your advice, just to get clear, it, it it's to find a, a real estate attorney that's, you know, in your area to, right. to write up the contract, to actually build the contract, not, not per deal, right? Not well, the single family, not per deal. When you get into the larger multifamily stuff, anything 500 K and above, we send through our attorney because you start entering into a different realm, especially a million and above. Like I said, it's very transactional. The guys owning a piece of land worth a million dollars, they're probably not new to this game, no, especially right. if they own it under an LLC. And if you send it from your personal just DocuSign, they're like, what is this? Because the last three offers, and if you're not sending a nice LLI beforehand, you've got to do things to establish yourself as a credible party. It's a whole different realm. They're used to brokers, attorneys, and that kind of stuff. we had two deals fall apart because we tried to just, you know, skip that process. And they sent it to their attorney who sent back all this legal jargon. So I had to get my attorney at that point. And by that point, it's too late. We, you have a very small window of credibility on these bigger deals. And if you miss that, it's, yeah, it's, it's an uphill battle from that point on. And when you're, each time I send a contract through my attorney's $2,500. So you want to make sure you're getting that thing signed before sending. Cause that's a, 
they'll start adding up quick. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but that, and it's, it's like a 30 page contract, especially when you're doing these entitlement plays, because you're trying to entitle this property during escrow. Cause I don't want to mm. take ownership of the property until I have, you know, preliminary site plan approval till it moves into full site plan approval and then goes into full entitlements and then everything's ready for permits. Because if I don't, there are situations where they got through everything right to the point of permits. And then city council said, actually, we don't want this here and grenaded the deal. So imagine if you spend $1 million on land, that's now worth 500 because all you can do is build four houses or something like that. You, it'd be a bad day. Gosh, <laughs> dude. Well, Anthony, my man, like, thank you so, so, so much for, for your time that, that you've given us. And gosh, it, it's amazing to think that you've only been doing this for such a short amount of time. And I mean, Truly. you sound like you've been doing this for, for decades. Um, so it's very inspiring to Tanner and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure I can speak for Tanner, you know, and I, as, as partners to, uh, to kind of see what, you know, what the future looks like for us. And it looks pretty bright, man, according to uh, what Mavro has been doing. So it, it can, if you know your numbers and you, uh, build that report, those builders and walk before you run. Everybody wants to jump to the big sexy deals. I was mm. guilty of it too, trying to lock up these big ones for multifamily plays. But if you don't have the bandwidth and the time and the team, that's why that $450,000 assignment worked because I had a team that was still hitting deals, still putting in the work, dispoing deals, everything was working. So I was able to go put all my attention in that because that came down to the wire. Like I said, the buyer tried to back out two days before closing we had to send out you know liz pennants with our demand letter and it was it was pretty wild man all right well thanks for that insight dude and of course just one last question you know but before we go i, I want to ask you in, in this new year um mm -hmm. what's something you're concerned about and what's something you're excited about I'm excited about the opportunities that are going to be available in this upcoming market. I don't think this soft landing like they're predicting is going to be very soft. And once again, that's not based on my opinion. That's based on some smarter people that I just regurgitate. But I don't think we're going to see that soft landing. So there's going to be a ton of opportunity, but there's going to be so much pain. There's going to be a lot of people. A lot of people are going to suffer. Um, I hope the Fed finds a way to get it as a soft landing. But I think we're going to see a lot of pain. And that is something that I'm not looking forward to just hate seeing people suffer. Hmm. Excellent insight. Well, guys, I mean, obviously, uh, Anthony is the man, uh, the land man and full of insight and knowledge. So if there's anyone who's wanting to connect with you and, and learn more from you, I know you mentioned the mavroacademy.com. I'm not sure if that that's available or not yet, but where, where can people um, find more info and, and learn more from you? So uh, YouTube, I'm going to be putting out uh, as much info as I can, especially if you have content that you need to see created. Most of the videos on YouTube right now were created because somebody sent me a DM on, on Instagram, uh, AD underscore Pappas, and said, hey, can you make a video on this? And then go make a video on it long form so they can then go watch it. Probably the worst way to make YouTube content for just one person each time. But uh, <laughs> I feel like then there might be other people that have that same question. So Absolutely. then they can find it. Like I recommend everyone, if you don't know how to look at single family diligence, there's a video on it. It walks you through what each thing does, what it means, why it's important. And it was like my second video. So it is trash. So don't be too harsh on the, the comments there or be harsh in the comments. It'll be funny either way. But so start, uh, I'm going to put out anything. If somebody's like, Hey, how do I do this? I'm going to create a video on it and give me some time. Cause I am new to, I'm doing everything myself just cause I'm crazy. <laughs> learning the editing software and the cameras and stuff but yeah i'm gonna try to help people or anthony at mavroproperties.com uh that will take a little longer to get back to because that inbox gets crazy <laughs> i bet 
Well, Anthony, again, brother, we really appreciate your time. I look forward to, uh, you know, getting to know you better and, and meeting you, you know, in person eventually the next time Tanner and I can get out to Arizona. Uh, where, where you're, are you in Phoenix? I'm in Chandler. Yeah. Chandler. Sub, okay. sub area. Yeah. 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 My best friend uh, lives out in Scottsdale. So we're, we're down okay. there quite often, man. So I, I look forward to shaking your hand and, and uh, yeah, dude. So anyways, we'll, we'll wrap this show up and Tanner, you got anything before we go? No, this is, this is phenomenal. I mean, it just goes to the show, like how much actually due diligence and how much work land isn't easier. It's just different. So it, it's the same thing. You guys are both familiar with Pace Morbia. Yeah? Oh, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So when I met Pace, he was doing um, dropping mobile homes and flipping houses. And then I believe he got into creative financing. I may be wrong. Someone beat me up in the comments. If I am, he met Eric Sage, who was a creative finance guy. And Pace said, I like this. I'm going to become the expert in it. Within two years, he is the sub two expert. Yep. That is a testament to what can happen if you become, you know, just engrossed and um, addicted, you know, whatever you want to call it, to that one craft. You can go very quick. You can level up fast if you're putting that work and stay up late and grind and read and do all the things that nobody wants to do. You can become that, you know, go-to expert in your market. And I'm kind of a testament to that same type of mentality of uh, if I don't have an answer, I need the answer so that I can, you know, have it for other people. Wow. Couldn't have said any better, dude. Focus, follow one course until successful. Dude, that's Avoid those shiny objects. So many people are going to come after land now and they're going (laughs) to, they're not going to listen to that part, but you have to be all in and that's what it is. You can't be, dabbling because you will get outperformed by people like us that are going all in on it amen anthony thank you so so much again for your time brother and uh, again we cannot wait to have you back on the show yeah you are brother all right man well guys we'll see you on the next episode take care peace what up elite fan that's a wrap for today's episode but look if you got value out of the show today do us a huge favor and give us a review or give us a like or subscribe do all the things to help us get the word out there and look we want to see you on the next show so get out there and crush it make it happen stay tuned for the next episode peace